Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm William Chen. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing Godzilla vs. Kong. Is that correct? I always get it mixed up. Go- Kong vs. Godzilla? Godzilla vs. Kong. Right? Godzilla vs. Kong, which came out of the cinema this year, and Kramer vs. Kramer, which came out in 1979, and everything in between, the spectrum of versus films. Please be aware that we will be spoiling many of these movies, and I think we should give ourselves a little bit of a round of applause. It is our fifth year, or fifth, what? it's our fifth anniversary, people. Woo! Yeah! Woo! So five years of doing this podcast, episode 61, we are so stoked to have you all listening, listeners. We hope you enjoy our conversation this month. So let's start with Godzilla vs. Kong. Sarah, do you want to give us a bit of a a download on what this film is about? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but to my mind, Godzilla vs. Kong is a film um, about a big monkey who uh, lives on an island and comes to town uh, because we need him to fight uh, some kind of Japanese dinosaur thing, maybe lizard, not sure. Um, And they have to fight. Wow. Well, thank you, Sarah. I'm I'm happy to add to that if you... Yeah, I think someone's going to need to, Jeremy. So, yeah. So they have light-up scales, um, lots of clunky dialogue... (laughs) And a journey to the centre of the earth, which was my favourite part of the movie, which we'll talk about soon. I mean, what an act two that was. <laughs> William, do you want to kind of bring us on home with, okay, well, with something a guys, bit more guys, cohesive? Guys. So, uh, I guess, well, what I want to say about Godzilla Recon, or I guess other things as well, but this month I watched the showdown between two titans of the silver screen, where the title characters engaged in a vicious, multi-part tete-a-tete. Although the combatants are equally billed, the hairy one actually gets the majority of the screen time, with his nemesis showing up every so often to mess stuff up. He, he is further humanised through his paternal relationship with the adorable Moppet, who might just be the best actor of the whole thing. In the end, after the dust settles and the horrific collateral damage is brushed aside, the two fighters come to, come to an uh, understanding of sorts about the whole ruckus and sort of, kind of, reconcile. But enough about Kramer v. Kramer, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful, though. And I mean, we we definitely tongue-in-cheek picked these two films as a way to talk about the spectrum of versus movies. But, I mean, I'm keen to jump in about the kids straight away. Because Mm. I agree with you, William. The the children in both movies, uh, whilst the indigenous girl in Kong... Well, what is it called? Godzilla vs. Kong. Mm -hmm. Potentially problematic, but Mm. she was a wonderful little actor. And the best moment of the movie was her coming out on the ship and pointing up at Kong. Mm. (laughs) E.T. moment sort of thing. And the boy in Kramer vs. Kramer, he never he did one more movie and then he retired from acting. Although he did a lot of TV stuff. Just so we're super clear, the the little child in Godzilla vs. Kong that we're discussing is not that annoying Moppet from Stranger Things. (laughs) Billy Ray's... What's her name? (laughs) Molly? Billy Ray, Molly, Cyrus, Billy Molly, Ray um, Billy Brown. Bobby Brown. Right. Yes. Um, I thought she was great in this movie. In no, Nola Holmes herself. She's yeah. fine, but she's not the Moppet we're talking about. Uh, are we talking about Julian Dennison? No, but we will. <laughs> He's um, there. <laughs> but we're talking about Kaylee Hottle, 
the most gorgeous little screen child I have ever seen, yeah. who is actually deaf, hearing impaired in mm. real life. Right. Comes from an entire family, uh, in an, a lineage of uh, hearing impaired family. And I really loved the fact that she and American Sign Language um, was effortlessly... Um, uh, melded into this blockbuster movie in a really authentic kind of way that yeah. will hopefully do heaps for not just, uh, I suppose, may I call it the, the, the disability world, but particularly also that particular language. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's pretty amazing that in, in a lot of the, um, the film blurbs, like ASL is listed as one of the official languages of the movie. Yeah. yeah. And she was great as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was super touching. I forgot about the kid when I did my plot summary. She, I mean, her, she really is the best thing in the whole film. Um, and that's not to say I didn't hate the movie. I, no. What am I trying to say? That's not to say that I you hated did it. hate the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely <clears throat> ridiculous from start to finish. And I was laughing out loud the whole way through. But, um, yeah, she was a, she was a lovely little, little light in the middle of this film that's about light in the middle of the earth. I say, I'll stop, I'll stop. <laughs> Getting super like, you know, I don't know about super deep actually, Sarah, rain it in. Oh, but, rain it in. No, but seriously guys, getting a bit meta about it, I think one thing I did appreciate about um, Godzilla vs. Kong, and particularly I guess illustrated by this lovely relationship with the little girl and the monkey, he's not a monkey, what is he? What am I meant he's to call him? He's an ape. He's an ape, right, of course. Yeah. Um, is... The, this whole idea that we need to understand the people we do not understand in order for there to be peace on earth. Which I just feel is increasingly important in today's world. You know, this whole idea that, you know, I hate you because I don't understand where you're coming from and therefore there will be conflict and discord till the end of time. But no, Kaylee Hottle or whatever her character's name is uh, in the film, she, she, she teaches us no. <laughs> Whoa. At the end of the film, Godzilla and Kong themselves, you know, yes. give each other curt nod. It's like, I'm going my way, you go yours. Yes. And yeah, it's just this, this beautiful moment of coming together. Is it an agree to disagree kind of moment <laughs> rather than a rapprochement? Can we, can we, I, so sorry, I just love that scene where Godzilla has Kong uh, trapped under his foot and he's kind of screaming into his face like, I have you now. And kind of jumping ahead to another versus movie, that is a shot-for-shot -shot remake of the scene from Batman v Superman, where Superman does the same old thing. No, Batman does the same old thing to Superman. Mm. Um, and it's equally ridiculous in both films. <laughs> nice connection! Is it the Martha moment? It Martha. is the Martha moment. <laughs> Why did you say that name? <laughs> I um I really just think that the whole premise of why Kong Kong is versus Godzilla is because they have an ancient rivalry. Like that's just that's just the explanation. There was a war. <laughs> they have an ancient rivalry. Move on, move on. Nothing to see here. No other reasons to investigate. Mm. But the whole logic of this movie is hilariously bad. <laughs> um, guys, guys, guys. As William would say, look, I just want to make something really clear. I took this assignment really seriously, and I don't know if you know, or indeed if I've said it before, but I, I am actually legally trained. I legit qualified as a lawyer in this country. So with this assignment, I thought to myself, here I'm faced with people in opposition, and I assessed the facts and the evidence in each of the films that I watched in order to make a fair judgment by the end of it as to who would win. So I must just say that I found the case between Godzilla and Kong um, very, very unfair. I found that Kong's legal team brought so much more to the argument. <laughs> he got 
so much more screen time. He got the relationship with the small child. We got to understand him as a character. We got to really know what had been going on in his past that might be mitigating circumstances in sentencing. And then poor old Godzilla, foreign, I might add, uh, and not understood, not given not given a translator, really not given um, his due in this court case, I feel was marginalised horrifically. So <laughs> being the sort of compassionate judge that I am, I actually came down on the side of Godzilla, mm. but mainly because I feel that he was underrepresented. And that his legal team was full of the most annoying people on earth? That's right, corrupt, clearly corrupt, <laughs> uh, and not, not having his best interests at heart. Can I just ask... What was the point of those characters, the Team Godzilla? <laughs> like, they, they skulk around Scooby-Doo style in, in very, very high security facilities. They get caught in... Uh, question mark? Yeah, there's no... There's, 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 there's clips. Not, yeah. Julian Dennison says things like, Oh, guys, don't go in there. And that's his, his whole character. He just says, I Oh, know. I'm worried about this. He's supposed to be the audience, right? He's supposed to be the, the voice of the audience in terms of, like... The, the cautious one that, you know, but it doesn't... Are you thinking, is that your interpretation or have you read that? Because... No, I'm just thinking, what's his purpose? I was well, like, why would he be there? He's there I, to be the voice because of Because otherwise, I feel... I don't... Oh, I was going to say I feel sorry for him. I don't pity Julian Dennison, but I feel sorry for him if he just get Oh, come and be in our blockbuster and we'll just give you a slightly jokey role, but we'll underwrite your character. You know what I mean? He had no character. What about the fact that they just walk into that high security facility, they, they go into a lift, they just wander on in, they somehow get into that really, probably... What, what? This is a very, very... Loose? Well, well, it's loose, but this facility <laughs> is clearly very well financed. And that's... Like, surely security is the height of their concern. And then they go into that room in Hong Kong, yeah. and the, the door password to close the doors so is literally one two three she's like Billy Bobby Brown is like boop 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 done doors disabled <laughs> and then the guards are like open the door yeah, open the door open the door <laughs> oh well oh. I, I guess okay to, to kind of snap some good things about Godzilla v Kong <laughs> okay then oh, all right. oh you mean Alexander Skarsgård <laughs> no no oh. I do not mean Alexander Skarsgård <laughs> or Rebecca Hall I think most of the humans are just really 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 underwritten um to echo what you guys were saying goodness the, the worst case scenario is probably um what's it called chandler yeah goodness gracious he comes out and one of his first lines and this is yes. in the trailer is godzilla's out there hurting people and we don't know why yes <laughs> yes yeah i just love the line and i said in our chat before this you know Millie Bobby Brown's character is trying to, trying to, and you know, so we've got to figure out why he's doing this. And he's like, creatures are like humans. They change too. <laughs> I was like, what is this dialogue? <laughs> or the Alexander Sarsgaard scene where he goes to Rebecca Hall and is like imploring her to encourage Godzilla on this bat ridiculous mission. <laughs> I don't know what this mission is. <laughs> and she's like, no, we can't. We can't control him. He can't be tamed. He's like, please. All right, then. <laughs> But I'm calling the shots. It is quite extraordinary because then those, I mean, they're getting into A-list actor territory, aren't oh, they? Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. So it's quite extraordinary that they, I mean, did they read the script or I don't know. Well, I, I know Alexander Sarsgaard, he chose it because he wanted to just have fun. Like he's done a lot of really dark characters well, and films. Oh, that's true. And he thought, I'll just have fun. And I've heard a lot of actors say similarly, similar things about the Marvel films and 
you know, people like Kate Blanchett and those sort of people are like, I just want to go and do like a green screen movie and, you know, have fun and, sure. and do a film my kids can see. Like, sure. that's a, those are some of the common... But, but it does look like they are having fun, so maybe that is something. Mm. It also um, looks... It also, the storyline is like, let's give a six-year-old $300 million. When the robot came into it, I was like... <laughs> it's like, you ask a kid, it's like, okay, if Godzilla and Kong have to fight someone, who would they fight? And the kid's like, a robot Godzilla. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With laser eyes. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought the, the action in the movie was incredible. Um, the visuals are very, very well done. I, I think because it's so cool that this movie is directed by Adam Wingard of mm. all people, and you know he's made some brilliant, like real low budget stuff, thrillers. Um, we were talking in about our the guest, the guest, which is one of my most favouritest so ever cool. indie films. Do you know of it? No, I don't know any of his stuff. Dan Stevens, best known to those who watch Downton Abbey as Matthew Crawley from Downton Abbey, so therefore you know this rather handsome blonde toff. Um, goes American, I'm not spoiling this, to play uh, a returned serviceman uh, who turns up on the doorstep of an ordinary family in middle America. Um, as the titular guest. As the titular guest. That's right. Dan Stevens is the guest. <laughs> and he turns up and he's one of these characters who has a murky backstory. Is it true? Is it not? Professes to have known their son who was also in the armed, armed forces. Uh, and then he sort of um, inveigles his way into the family in both positive and negative ways. It's absolutely fascinating, thrilling, uh, ultimately violent, uh, extraordinary. He's amazing. He's a revelation. And so Adam Wingard made that. And now this. And mm. I, I think a lot of the clarity in his low-budget stuff is fully on display in Godzilla vs. Kong. Like, you compare this movie to like, Michael Bay's Transformers movies, which are probably more expensive probably visually more complex but cut to pieces and edited in a way that you just have no idea what's going on yeah whereas this movie every time godzilla fights Kong or vice versa there is such such clarity in geography and timing right and, and in choreography and choreography as well. yes, sure. right you, you know exactly what's going on and there are some touches in this movie which are just so good I mean, these tiny little scenes that when i watched that i sat back and went whoa that was cool there's a scene where um, a jet plane is taking off from an aircraft carrier mm. and one of the monsters is on the aircraft carrier and tipping the whole thing. So you see the monster in the background all blurry from the POV of the cockpit. It's mm. like, this mm. is incredible. Mm. Another scene where the, the center of the Earth spaceships come out of the center of the Earth in the middle of their battle in Hong Kong and they're kind of strafing this laser fight and it's all first person perspective and it looks like the coolest Universal Studios ride of all time that was amazing that shot and it yeah, went through both it kind of it, it placed you with where both Kong and Godzilla are and I will say that for all of the silliness in the script and I think it is the script but it also didn't try to be anything that it wasn't yeah, it, it that's was true you know when, when they went to the center of the earth I was like oh yeah okay I'm, I'm all for this because it was so goofy at the start that I was already sort of prepped for that I, part of me wishes that they just made the whole film or set the whole movie in the center of the mm. earth. That would have been cool. It does what it says on the tin. Exactly, right? My, my one issue, William, I mean, I appreciate what you say about the, the um, bravura of that, that uh, scene with the perspective on the aircraft carrier. Got to be honest with you, the thing that was um, bugging me throughout that scene is that the, the ships... 
that were anywhere around the aircraft carrier, despite the fact that there's a socking <laughs> great ape, like doing a seesaw on it and making, you would have thought, a whole lot of very dangerous waves. Everyone's in very calm waters, just sort of watching and going, oh, I say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is going to end in tears. And the yeah. fact that when both of them get on the aircraft carrier, it is still floating. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. so, or when the whole ship flips at one point and yeah. all the characters are kind of just a bit wet and kind of get up. And that's the one thing about it that, to me, makes it unrealistic. <laughs> What about um, when there's a big hole in the center of the earth that that Godzilla has just That's kind of blasted, and Kong climbs up in a, in a relatively short time? I was like, that would have taken. Well, he he falls, yeah, and then gravity reverses and he falls back up. I I don't. No, know. but when he when we're in the center of the earth, yes, he literally has to climb up with the little axe, doesn't he? That's what he's doing. Well, well he starts by falling and then gravity reverses and then he climbs up into Hong Kong, which would have taken years. Yeah. <laughs> like surely that would have taken years. That is thousands and thousands of kilometers. That's yeah. the only other thing that makes this <laughs> completely unrealistic. Although speaking of the center of the earth, I I kind of love the fact that. The whole point of that detour, which is what, like 40 minutes of the runtime, with all the recruiting hours out of Skarsgård, um, the, 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 oh my god, the, the Demian Bashir character, who was awful. And his daughter was even worse. His daughter, um, what's her name, Aita Gonzalez, yeah. uh, was just like, oh, I'm evil because of the big old monkey. <laughs> and then, of course... What was that for? It was so Kong could get an axe. I thought it was, it was to sit so... on a crown on a, on a throne. <laughs> oh, well, that's so... why he's King Kong. He's on a throne. It's... Oh, I didn't even think of that. Didn't you? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, I actually did. Symbolism. <laughs> that's what we call that. Oh my goodness! There's so many layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say you just missed the layers. But, so, but like when when Godzilla fires his atomic breath, you know, if Kong didn't have that axe, he'd he'd be completely. Pulverized, yeah, and so forty minutes, so he wouldn't be one shotted by Godzilla. It was so ridiculous. <laughs> so, guys, 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 um, when you're talking about the center of the Earth, I, I'm reminded of Alien versus Predator. Yeah, because I believe a little bit of digging goes on there as well. <laughs> a little bit of exploration. Is by, there an by axe bad or people. like a, something that cuts a face? Um, there are right? ice picks. Yeah, ice um, pick. That's right. Because, um, like, totally took me by surprise, guys. But in the opening shot. There's a woman and she is um, she is mountaineering uh, and I thought that won't be used later in the movie at all. <laughs> um, but she was and she's the, the heroine of um, uh, Alien vs. Predator. Now guys, I thought about Alien vs. Predator in my legal, through my legal lens. And once again, I have to say, very heavily weighted towards the Predator team. The aliens are brought in uh, like the Godzilla character, if you will. They're the ones that we're supposed to uh, despise, not like. Again, the film ends with the two of them going, look, fine, you do you, I'll do me. Let's just agree to disagree. And they also go a little bit underground, don't they? Yeah. Um, but that feels stupid. And Lance Hendrickson's in it, which doesn't make any sense. It does. With... It does. My husband came up with this. We are... we So... So, I didn't realize this, but Alien, right, is yeah. set in the future from Alien versus Predator. So, he dies, um, what's his name? Not Headland, uh, Wayland. Mm -hmm. Wayland dies, and then um, Bishop, the droid, is he a droid? What do we call uh, Bishop? Yeah, I'm not talking about Bishop though, because the human version of that character is an Alien 3. So, oh, the human of that is an Alien clones. 3. 
clothes. But we yeah. were thinking that Bishop, of course, had been sort of modelled on... Um, that the, the 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 gag, right, right. gag was already done at Alien 3, because she tries oh. to kill him, and he's, she thinks, you're just a droid. And he's like, I'm a human! And his ear's kind of coming off, and um, blood, and yeah. So when Alien vs. Predator came out with him, and I was like, this is no, this makes no sense! Right. H- have you guys seen a- AVP 2 Requiem? Are you serious? Because the end of that movie has a Asian-looking lady coming up, grabbing the new Predator tech, and then the final scene of the movie, one of her aides goes, Here you go, Miss Yutani. Oh no. Smash. Is that at the end of Alien vs. Predator? Alien vs. Predator 2. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, the the biggest tragedy about Alien vs. Predator, I mean, that film is, if you look at it as a Predator movie, it's actually, like, I actually quite enjoyed it. It's fun. As an alien film, it misses all the the thematic beats. Yeah. Um, And the the biggest tragedy, and I said this again in our chat in preparation for this this episode, is um, that Ridley Scott and James Cameron were planning to make a fifth alien movie, and they didn't because of the studio going ahead with Alien vs. Predator. And I'm like, no! I mean, yeah. of course, we got the really Scott re-resurgence re later on with mm-hmm. Prometheus and yeah. um, Alien Covenant, which I loved Covenant. Um, but what a tragedy. I just wanted to say that uh, similarly in the end of Alien vs. Predator, of course, the final girl, the woman who who is the only person left standing by the end, has made an effort to understand uh, Predator and to work with him uh, and therefore had her life saved as a result. And, and I got just... the ice pick scar, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah, a little sort of <laughs> tea or whatever. <laughs> it's kind of romantic. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt those vibes as well watching it. Like, yeah, something something's going on between you. And, gotta, and gotta he is it. ugly, can I just say. <laughs> that's he, why he keeps the mask he's on. He's like way uglier than the alien. Imagine if that's like, it just reveals actually a remake of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I yeah. actually sang that. And was, I actually, we were sitting watching it and I went, Beauty and the Beast. Um, I think one of the best versus movies is, is, does not have verses in the title. And that is Civil War. I think um, Captain American Civil War. And the reason why I think it's one of the best uh, representations of a versus story is because it actually avoids a lot of these tropes that we're talking about, which is, you, you know, how do you have a story where neither of them can win because you don't want to ostracize yes. any half of the audience that is rooting for the other oh, one. Do you mean like Batman versus Superman? Right, you know? Like Who's going to win that? <laughs> right. Let, let, let's have a fourth act to find out. Yeah, and it's, it's, as just as you guys were saying with Godzilla, like introduce a third or a second antagonist at right. the very end for two of them to team up and hey, we're actually not so different after all. Yeah, right? whereas with Civil War, it is an ideological battle that they're facing. You know, should superheroes be on a register and I, I think that as a as a what, are, what am I trying to say what sort of register do you mean like a sex offenders register yeah exactly have you not seen the film well yeah but I mean they that's, all blend that, into that's one that's the heart of the movie right oh. is that, that they should have after the events of I think Avengers Age of Ultron and then the beginning of, of Civil War yeah so oh. there's, there's events where they're causing hazard and harm to the public and so Tony Stark and Captain America have differing ideas. So Tony Stark's like, yeah, we should have a register. We should be, that sounds great, so we can be kept accountable, the superheroes. And Captain America's like, well, I know what that turns into with World War II, because he went through yes. World War II, in terms of, yeah, having people on a list and, oh. and policing them. So I that is, that. That is a, as a heart of a versus story is yeah. far more compelling and mm. complex and at the end of the day, they do agree to disagree, mm. but it's um, it's not through this third 
party that's coming yeah. into it. There is a third party, but he doesn't really get you know come to play at the end. Like it is about the two main characters of the quote unquote civil war. Mm. Yeah. Can I can I hit upon that? We have a whole list, listeners, of um, versus films. Um, and facetiously, we chose um, one of Taika Waititi's early films, Eagle vs. Shark. Now, I don't think that you can do a legal judgment on them, <laughs> but I am interested in, for example, Freddy vs. Jason. So seriously, I, I did not watch it. I'm not interested. Um, to me, Freddy Krueger is hands down, <laughs> uh, <laughs> knives down, the <sighs> most frightening um, horror uh, anti-hero of all time and I have no time for Jason whatsoever I think he's a fool however <laughs> I'm assuming at least one Jason of you have seen like it that. well <laughs> I don't care um, but can you tell me who wins in that one I don't remember I just remember Kelly Rowland walking backwards with like really terrible like raging music and then I think she dies I, I remember the new metal in that movie there's a lot of new metal yeah, okay. yeah. it's Bec- not a good film <laughs> because presumably neither franchise was going to allow their guy to be taken down by the other do so. they take each other to hell in that movie I, I can't remember again oh, that's a very that's a that's the a, music was a more way memorable out. than the movie right okay well I just wondered I just wondered <laughs> who's um who's the Italian horror director um, Arge- Dario Argento. Argento it reminded me of his his work because he has a lot of the yeah, raging what did you what sort of music did you call it uh, new metal new metal i don't know all oh, right so there's, there's a lot of that in his films yes. that really distracts from the moment uh, i've never seen an argento film that i've really properly connected with i think opera is one of the ones i saw and i went to see suspiria at the civic many mm. many years ago um they did a, the fantastic uh special screening of suspiria with the band Goblin, who did the original kind of new metal um, uh, score um, for that film. And, uh, and so they were playing live. They were visiting. Obviously, pre-pandemic days, guys, if you can cast your mind back that far. Um, and, uh, and that was sensational. And, and everybody in the audience who was a massive Suspiria fan and a massive Argento fan and a massive Goblin fan actually had the best time. So um, that's a thing. Wow, nice. cool. Yeah, well, I, I feel like it's definitely an area of, of my watching that I need to investigate further. But it did remind me of Freddy versus Jason. Freddy versus Kruger. Kruger versus no, Freddy. Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> yeah. Freddy versus. What about Larry Flint versus the? Is it? No, it's the United <laughs> States versus Larry oh, Flint. Oh. I really, really no. Is it the people versus Larry Flint? The people Flint? versus. Larry or is it the people versus OJ Simpson? No. Um, anyway, I think it is. It's the people versus Larry Flint. I so badly wanted to revisit that for this podcast Milos, um, Milos Foreman it is Milos yeah. Foreman and uh, Woody Harrelson and Courtney Love mm. um, and uh, I didn't yet revisit it but I can tell you categorically that I suspect that the United States of America i.e. the people uh, won <laughs> yeah. by the way guys just to let you know a little bit of legal trivia here um, in the British and therefore the New Zealand justice system the way that we um, the way that we talk about uh, criminal cases is it's always R, capital R for Regina, who is the crown, V, little V, we don't do an S in this country and in Britain, it's just a little V, um, and then Downing, for example. So R, V, Downing is the case of the crown, 
against Downing. Wow. Right? Um, so we'd never say versus. We would never do that. And that's, there's no little S there um, either. And interestingly, or not, but I've started, so I'll finish. <laughs> we don't even say RV Downing. We say R and Downing. Hmm. Who knows why? But the British way of doing it is when you're talking about that little V, which obviously signifies versus, you say and. So um, I've been reading these this list as Kong and Godzilla, monsters and aliens, Kramer and Kramer, um, because... My oh, long ago legal training suggested that was the case. Anyway, in America, yeah, you have the people. So you have the people versus, um, and the people versus O.J. Simpson, even though we didn't talk about it for this podcast, or we didn't watch it for this podcast, is the best television uh, of recent years. I think we can all agree, and if we don't agree, we can't be taken seriously. I think as well, like that's, and I, I think it's such a good example of where Ryan Murphy is at his best, which mm-hmm. is, uh, directing, casting, really having his finger on the pop cultural pulse. Mm. Uh, and I'm always frustrated when I watch some of his original written content because it doesn't, the structure of his stories don't live up to the shebang, the whiz pop, the, mm. the excitement. Like I tried watching mm. Ratchet last year and I it just, I kind of gave up after episode two or three mm, because yeah. the characters start to not make much sense. Yep. Whereas, OJ versus, or people, whatever it is, American Crime Story, yes. um, and also the Versace the, one, yeah, which the is one's absolutely fantastic. Mm. It's, it's, how, do we, how do we present a version of this truth mm. in a way that's compelling and speaks to a modern day issue? Uh, and I, I, I agree with you, Sarah, those two seasons, and I'm really looking forward to the Monica Lewinsky mm-hmm. re, recasting, reframing of mm. that narrative, because I think it does need to be reframed. Uh, what was the podcast you were referring to before we started recording? Um, you're Wrong About. You're it's Wrong really About. It's really cute how podcasts reference other podcasts, but um, let's assume that most of the people listening to us uh, are familiar with this wonderful American podcast called You're Wrong About, where the, the two presenters take turns each week. Each week! Can you imagine? And they've got day jobs. They're journalists and investigators. But they take turns each week um, discussing a topic, and one will do all the reading and learning up about the topic and then sort of t- teach the other um, about it. Uh, and so, yeah, one of the podcasts they've done is about the Mon- Monica Lewinsky situation looking at it from a pop cultural and a sociological point of view uh, and the way that somebody can be taken down by the media, by politics, particularly Ken Starr's team back in the day, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But really what the podcast does so beautifully is contextualize things because then we realize that actually so much of what we consume and what we take as understanding of the world is through the media, which as we know, is a particular type of lens and a, a massive bias. Um, so yeah, you're wrong about, highly recommended. It will blow your mind. They talk about everything. I think just to link it to Kramer versus Kramer, I mean, Monica Lewinsky is a really great example of how hard the public and people came against one side of that argument. Mm-hmm. You know, whilst Bill Clinton was dragged through <coughs> the media, she really was dragged through the media. Yes. Um, whereas I, I think with Kramer versus Kramer, uh, they do a really good job, even though you're right, William, Dustin Hoffman gets most of the screen time. Screen time? Screen time. Uh, a little bit of screen time as yes, well. Yes, it's true. Uh, but they, I think Meryl Streep's character is is quite sympathetic. I don't yeah. feel, you know, like even back in the day, I don't know what the reaction would be to a mother leaving her son. Um, it's the late 70s, so they're probably a bit more... Um, what am I trying to say? Empathetic to that scenario than perhaps mm. in the 50s. Mm. Um, but, yeah, they do a really good job of balancing the 
the argument. Yeah, I don't feel like um, there's one villain, you know, even though she is kind of the villain. Mm-hmm. Well, she's villainized, yeah. maybe, probably, because you're right, um, particularly nowadays, maybe since forever, if a woman, if a mother decides that she needs to leave a marriage and leave a family for her own reason, she is absolutely villainized to this day in a way that fathers aren't. Um, and, and I think that's just a really uh, sad fact. I think there's obviously some sort of um, sexist bias going on, but it's also a sad fact that it is easier for a, a father to, to leave a family or a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore, because it's, it's more common, it's less shocking. So the, the, time, the minute that a woman decides this is killing me or not working out for me or I am not living my best life or whatever it might be, everyone's like, no way, you cannot do that. Mm. I, I thought how they portrayed that was very, very interesting in terms of the, the, uh, the pacing of the movie because you, you, you start with Meryl Streep, but very, very quickly the attention shifts to, to Dustin Hoffman and she disappears for a large swath of the movie. The first hour, right? The yeah. first hour is really like the, the Mrs. Doubtfire story yeah. <laughs> yeah, with him right. becoming a better dad. <laughs> with him making French toast with eggshells. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she comes back, it's, it's done in a way that feels really, really organic, I felt. And, and during the court case, when she actually pleads her case, like it... You, as the audience, become understanding of her what side is her of the case? story. Give us a summary. What, what, what's her argument for wanting to leave? Well, I, I guess her argument is that she left because she was unhappy mm. and that people change. Mm. And that, you know, um, where she didn't think that she was a good mother for Billy when, you know, it was of the moment, the, mm. the spur of the moment. Um, having time to reconsider and going through therapy, she understands that she was wrong. Mm. And I felt as an audience member, I could completely see where she was coming from. And it was only through, you know, a very short snippet of dialogue that filled in all of the blanks that we didn't get in the first half of the movie, which was really nice. You know, the Meryl Streep wrote that monologue. She, mm. Well, she rewrote that monologue because she read the script and she said, this just doesn't really resonate with what I think this character would be going through. And I think it did do a lot to villainize her further Whereas she, yeah, the director gave her the opportunity to rewrite it. Mm-hmm. And apart from cutting, I think, two sentences, what was on the screen was what Meryl Street wrote. Mm, cool. Um, and and her, her thing is that I've been Billy, was it Billy? Billy, Billy? Yeah. I've been Billy's mother for five years and I, and I had 18 months where I needed to reconsider. I shouldn't be judged for those 18 months, you know, yeah. for, the, for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really well put together um, argument and, and not an argument, it's a really well put together complex scenario i think dustin hoffman as well was going through well, i know he was going through a really messy divorce during that time and a lot of his experiences were woven into the film as well mm-hmm. uh, and I, when he won the academy award i think he, he thanked divorce <laughs> right uh, he cool. thanked you divorce because of the richness of what he was able to bring to that role because of the really tough tough journey that he was going on as well the film um, was written and directed by robert benton um, who you pretty much never hear of before or since, but um, he won he won the Oscars, uh, he won the directing and writing Oscar for the film. Dustin mm-hmm. won, did Meryl win as well? Yep, best supporting. Yeah, he, and he won best actor. And then the, the kid, isn't he the youngest person ever to be nominated for Oscar? I yeah, that was Tatum O'Neill. I think maybe best supporting actor. Okay, he's eight years old. He was right. nominated as an eight-year-old. Right. It's, it's a really good film. It was the highest grossing film of 1979. It's incredible. Considering my two favorite films came out that year, you know, with <laughs> Alien and um, Apocalypse Now. Uh, and Apocalypse Now, I, I noted very well. So yeah. Kramer versus Kramer really must have hit a nerve with 
where society was at, where culture was at. Yeah. Um, I guess changing gender roles, you know, the father... Mm. Part of the tension of that movie is that the dad really... This was interesting for me as well from a today's lens. The dad really puts his son first. You know, he has to leave. He can't stay for the office party because he's yeah. got to go pick up his boy. Things now that we're like, oh, yeah, you know, like it's not mm-hmm. even a big deal. Mm-hmm. But but the, the narrative there is that he ends up losing his job yeah. because he's putting his family first, which is... Yeah. What a really progressive film for 1979. Yeah. Although you, I guess you can argue the 70s were progressive, and that's the point. And that's why Apocalypse Now will have struck a chord as well, because the film was not, as you know, I mean, we can talk, do a whole bloody podcast on Apocalypse Now, but it was a hellish shoot, and it was a hellish uh, inception, and it was a hellish everything. But it's also a war movie. Um, and so, yeah, that will have been a bit zeitgeisty as well. Yeah. That's really interesting, though, that Kramer versus Kramer took off it reminds me of like the last year's marriage story in a way i think it was even bigger than that for it to be the oh, biggest yeah. film of yeah. the year it was way like bigger, home but... alone or like what yes. are some of those big and, and marriage story generally feels like a spiritual success to kramer vs kramer right yes that, that's what it felt like to me watching yeah it. yeah and it's very and again you know marriage story i thought was fair i thought that it painted two reasonable people in a reasonable way. You didn't yeah. villainize one or the yeah. other for the sake of the audience, you know. Yeah. And it actually made us uh, have to sort of think about, not even in terms of allegiance. I don't even think it was trying to make us say, well, are you going for Adam Driver or are you going for Scarlett Johansson? It was really just a bit eye-opening, I suppose, to not take signs, yeah. sides. Which brings me back to <laughs> the theme of all of these movies, which should be reconciliation and rapprochement. <laughs> and that we should be less divisive as a society, divided as well, sorry, less divided mm-hmm. as a society. And that we should be uh, more at one with those that we disagree with. Because, mm. yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree with that, especially in the light of Kramer vs. Kramer. Like, by the end of the movie, the real antagonists are the, the well, maybe the lawyers, arguably, but the legal system, right? It's, it's about how something that was, again, a situation that was very complex and that both parties have a stake in but aren't antagonistic towards each other about mm. is suddenly blown out of proportion because of the personal attacks and because mm. of all of that stuff that the lawyers are doing to quote unquote win yes um and because of that it, it tears down these these wars of civility and yes. allows both parties to really go at it and are to you saying hurt that people that's what kramer versus kramer yes. and it's interesting you say that because um i hadn't revisited kramer versus kramer for this and i apologize but marriage story is interesting because you do get to see the lawyers saying well we need to find things that we can go at him with yeah. and and scarlett johansson's like well I, that, I don't really i don't need to do that we had an agreement it's all very agreeable and i want to keep it civil yeah. and the lawyers are like mm-mm we're going to need some stuff here. So you're going to have to find things that we can bring up that will make your case stronger. Mm-hmm. So actually the legal system is hugely to blame for for uh, creating antagonism between the parties sometimes, mm-hmm. isn't it? As yeah. much as it's designed, in inverted commas, to smooth the path. Yeah, to resolve. That's right. It makes me think of uh, Before Midnight. Is that the third yes. Before yeah. movie? And the argument, that whole film is an argument. Oh. It's a wonderfully woven <laughs> together. And I think I've said this on a podcast before, but I went with my friends who... Uh, were getting married and they were talking to me about the marriage counselling, pre-marriage mm. counselling that they were going mm. on soon. And we got to the end of that movie and I just sort of turned to them and said, well, how was your first session, you know? <laughs> mm. uh, but that's another great film where a marital 
yeah argument is depicted and you get to the end of the movie and you really think this is well spoiler alert spoilers for mid, before midnight you get to the end and you're like this is this is the end of their relationship yeah and there's a wonderful yeah. inception ending where the spinning top of their relationship is yeah you know, will it drop or will it will it stay and yeah it's a great ending and it'd be interesting to see whether they make a, a fourth, fourth one. one it must yeah. be coming up relatively oh, soon yeah, no, nine, every one. nine years they make every nine before years. midnight was so devastating after the first two um, see the second one before sunset was the one that made me go oh that's so wonderful yeah, that's so wonderful amazing movie. so brilliant and then in a way I think I was kind of because in those days I was still single uh, in fact I think in the, when I saw before sunset the second film I was coming to the end of a really bad relationship so watching something really good on screen was quite painful because mm. I was like oh I was kind of wistful but I was like wow this really shows me the relationship that as it turned out I was about to leave is really wrong but then in a horrible schadenfreudian way there was something reassuring about the third film before <laughs> midnight because I was like oh not so happy after all ha ha <laughs> so maybe it wasn't the right decision you know da 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 so it will be interesting to see what would happen in a fall I hope they keep making them because I love the three of them and what they've done with those movies. Yes, and to see that to see that relationship grow with the actors and with Richard Linklater is yeah. really exciting. And the three of them, that's their baby now, isn't it? And, and and it's some of the most truthful writing you ever see on screen because they three of them co-constructed those scripts. If they it's made another six, another six. If they made another three decades more mm-hmm. um, th- those are some of the stories that we don't get to see yes, we right. don't get to see those older stories yeah. uh, and do you I mean w- the, de- the, the length of a relationship what just no, what? The, uh, older relationships yeah older yes, relationships right. and ones that have been going for longer yeah. and have had their ups and downs you're right because yeah. most rom-coms end with the montage and the wedding and the confetti mm-hmm. and then the pregnant person um, and well they do don't they you know <laughs> not, not, not the pregnancy because pregnancy is like beyond the realm of fantasy in rom-com well depends. <laughs> in Notting Hill like, oh I love that film I do love Notting Hill um, you know she's pregnant on a park bench uh, with Hugh Grant not like on her own like a beggar um, <laughs> pregnant on a park bench at the end and you're like oh their life's going to be amazing but it's actually really good when you watch things like uh, the breakup and that and you go actually yeah nah yeah well let's go around final thoughts or maybe final versus movie that you wanted to kind of bring this in for a close well the one that we've kind of mentioned a little bit is Batman v Superman which was I mean it is a really really bad movie and I think it it really paints how good Godzilla v Kong is in comparison. Have you guys seen Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, whether it's the theatrical cut or the director's cut? I've seen one of them, um, and I don't remember anything about it. Because the director's cut is like three plus hours long. Right. It's ridiculous. Um, and the theatrical cut is just, it's so, it's so hell-bent on having these two titanic forces, these, these huge pop cultural icons, you know, really go at it, that um, it spends about two hours of its two hour 40, two hour 50 runtime just having a boring build-up, and the final fight is so underwhelming. Mm. Um, and of course, it's resolved the moment it begins, right? Because other things happen, and there's a third baddie and all that stuff. Whereas Godzilla v Kong, you know, all its faults and, and all of that accepted, it shows you and it gives you what it wants to show you, right? It's, you came here for the monsters, here's some monsters. The human stuff is really annoying and it's, it's not funny and it's just it's really... It's not clever. It's not clever, it's really <laughs> poorly written. 
but you're not you're not really there for the humans, right? Uh, I, I think in a lot of God, this really reflects a lot of the Godzilla movies, uh, the Toho or the American ones, mm. where so much of the time the human stories are just there for space filler because yes. special effects are expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so when you have the human scenes, you're kind of like, oh, okay, fine. It's, <clears throat> it's not it's not that bad. And okay. 10 minutes later, here comes another monster scene. Here comes Kong using a jet as a ninja star. Here comes them doing like tag team wrestling moves against a giant robot. Um, and, and in Hong Kong, all lit up beautifully. Oh, that was amazing. Which wow. is amazing. And then they smash it to bits. I was and, horrified. And, the, and then the city, the city would not even turn off its power grid when yes. those two giant yes. kaiju are, are just leveling it. There's also this amazing shot when Mechagodzilla first appears. And there's all these, uh, you know, dawn has broken over the world. And, um, and there's a shot of these, these Hong Kong citizens running for their lives. And it's like, these guys have been fighting for hours. And there's still people in the streets filming Why? it. I saw that. I, and that is the third thing that makes the film totally unrealistic. I also didn't know why they didn't just blow up their whole facility if all yeah. it took was pouring some coke over the or alcohol over the <laughs> yeah, thing like why did it blow coke. the whole thing up and then it'll stop that mecha godzilla the worst payoff also i love that oh i kind of love that mecha godzilla is actually the villain king Ghidorah from the previous movie uh, uh what's called godzilla king of monsters and his head has somehow cyclically ingrained itself into a robot body taken over from the controller and zapping him with all the special effects budget of Return of the Jedi circa 1983. Oh my gosh! <laughs> then, so he's, he's a giant replica of Godzilla built by evil billionaires uh, that's been controlled by a psychic three-headed dragon. That is... Mwah. Uh, so yeah, the, well, I'm glad you had a good time, the, William. I, I actually did. Plus, I know the the you know watching big monsters fighting on a big screen that felt special in a time of pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> and interesting. You talk about the you know human stuff as being filler. The director, who is what's his name again? Uh, Adam Wingard. Adam Wingard. He said this film's two hours under two hours long. People have said to me, why not make it three hours? You know, all these big blockbusters. He said, yeah, but if I made an extra hour, it would just be an extra hour of people talking about monsters. And I think people think when it's three hours, it's going to be more monster time. It wouldn't be that. Yeah. But yeah. I, I just, I want to add one more thing. And this is kind of a shout out to Shin Godzilla, which is that is a movie that doesn't have a lot of monster, but it makes people talking about monsters interesting. And that is why that movie is really, really good. Nice. Um, well, I would have mentioned Ford versus Ferrari, but we don't have time to talk about Christian Bale. Um, and but what about Tracy Letts? We don't have time for oh. any of them. Uh, I would just say <laughs> if you care about whether Ford is better than Ferrari, you should just watch the amazing Netflix show Formula One Drive to Survive. Mm. Uh, we've watched all three seasons and it is staggeringly enjoyable and informative. Um, I would just do a quick shout out to a film that only I have seen um, so far, it's coming out shortly, and it's the United States versus Billy Holiday. Um, heck, we could do a whole podcast on that film, I guess. Um, anyway, I would say, unfortunately, in that instance, the United States government wins. Uh, but my goodness, in terms of pop culture, not pop cultural, but uh, in terms of jazz icon legendary, that Billy Holiday, she's a star. Excellent. And my film to add, which we have not talked about, is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Nice. A fantastic film by Edgar Wright and also a comic book adaptation. So it's, you know, within the realm of, 
of the films that we've been talking about. Uh, I haven't actually gone back and rewatched it in a, in a number of years. So it's the 10th anniversary this year. Wow. Yeah. I, would just, I mean, that opening sequence with the band playing is still one of my favourite openings in I'm the gonna film. I'm going to rewatch that. It's brilliant. I love Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. Um, I think Michael Cera is brilliant. And there's a whole raft of actors and comedians in that movie that who were, were about to be super famous yeah take off and so mm. I, it's definitely worth a revisit and I think just the idea of destroying somebody and them exploding into coins and then picking the coins up <laughs> is such a wonderful um, computer game trope that I'm really I, I always find really uh, fun and, <clears throat> and exciting so yeah, that would be my addition to the to the to the mix on a whole, though, I don't really... I haven't found Versus movies that enjoyable. <laughs> uh, it's not not necessarily something that I go, oh, this is going to be a riveting and uh, and challenging watch that's going to really open my eyes to the dynamics one, of human interaction. One riveting, challenging watch that will open your eyes to the dynamics of human interaction, which we purposely have avoided for this podcast, of course, is the... The TV documentary Alan versus Pharaoh. Uh, so that's a whole different ball game. Um, no judgment on that one yet. Well, <clears throat> there is, but it's not for this podcast. Um, <laughs> Does the documentary start with basically Alan and Pharaoh eliminating the arrivals one by one before <laughs> meeting in the middle? <laughs> not quite. <laughs> yeah, true, true. So I guess that this this versus trope is used in a number of different ways, and that one there is very very much a um, yeah pertinent and challenging topic so yeah well on that note (laughs) thank you for listening to another episode of cinema in context if you enjoyed our podcast then please share it with your film loving friends you can listen to cinema in context through soundcloud spotify apple podcast stitcher radio public and amazon music you can also follow us on facebook youtube twitter and instagram which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, no more am I.